welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the favorite jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a saxophone player and band leader from Israel, Danny Markovich. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we got Danny Markovich, right? Yep, that's correct. Oh, that's a first. Okay. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. And he's going to talk about his band, his album. But first, Danny, introduce yourself to the people, please. Hi, uh, everybody. I'm Danny from the band Fusion Band Marvin. And I just released, about to release, um, an album with a guitar player from Marvin. He plays uh, bass and guitar on it. And with Antonio Sanchez on drums. And that's... Yeah, it's my first jazz album that's, uh, that's more, again, it's not that straight ahead, but it's more straight ahead than what I've been doing so far, which is, uh, you know, been in a fusion band and traveling the country, which I've been doing for a decade and uh, I've eight albums out with that band. Yeah, I felt bad when I didn't know this band. I'm no, not going to lie good. to you. I really felt bad because uh, Israel Jazz was nice. I mean, that track alone, I was just like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Got me working out to jazz again. I'm feeling it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. The reason, so the reason why we called it Israeli jazz is because it's the least jazzy song on the album. And I, both me and Danny Rabin are from Israel and we never, we were never accepted by the Israeli jazz scene. I, he left Israel when he was uh, 17 to go to study in Berkeley. And I, mm-hmm. uh, I actually was drafted and served three years in the infantry. And then I moved here to the States afterwards. So I didn't really get to be in the scene and they didn't really accept us and they never regarded what we do as jazz. So as a fuck you, we decided we're going to call it our list jazz song, Israeli jazz. And now if you Google it, that's what comes up. That is outstanding. That is legit outstanding. (laughs) So just off that alone, there's so much to go into. So you got drafted to the Israel army. And you were an yeah. infantryman, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was your task and, with them? Uh, well, I started as an infant, just infantry uh, fighter. Then I went to sergeant course. I was a drill sergeant for a little bit. And then uh, I was uh, a team sergeant. So I went back to my own team and I was the sergeant of that team. If that, yeah, okay. Not sure what it means to somebody that wasn't in the army. But uh, we did a lot of stuff. I served in Gaza mostly before uh, Israel got out of it. Okay, no, this is, man, the fact that you just have the military experience alone gives us more to talk about, which I would, let's let's keep it on the music, let's keep it on the music, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was many years ago, it's been uh, 14 years since I'm out, so. Okay. Been living in the States, and uh, having a good time, traveling everywhere, you know, played in all the States, Uh, played about 200 shows, 250 shows a year in the last 10 years. Played in every st- every state, in other than Alaska and Hawaii, and also a bunch of places. Uh, we actually had a show in. We played two or three times, two times I think, in Juarez, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And the last time we went to Juarez, we had a a different show in El Paso, the during the night. So we got to we got to the border, and we couldn't. They told us not to take the car. So, uh, <laughs> I know you're like me. You're that, that just tempts you to take the car and go out, right? Well, well we wanted to, but the reason why we couldn't is because we said you will never make it to the show in El Paso. Because last time we did it, we played El Paso early in the day, and then we played Juarez. And there is a long line, like it takes two seconds. If, if people never cross the border to Mexico, they don't ask you to show your passport, they don't ask you for anything. You just walk in Mexico, basically. That is true. And, but, Going back is not that easy. So there is a huge line of cars. So they told us, if you want to make it, just walk. So we took all our gear and went on this huge bridge and just walked to Juarez and then went with all our gear and walked back. Okay, that's probably going to tick off a lot of my <laughs> friends and made it just because he just walked over the border. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. <laughs> so... 
Yeah, I love playing. Love playing Mexico. We played well. We played Juarez. We were supposed to go to some other places, and it gonna get cancelled because of Corona. We mm-hmm. played in Colombia, which was amazing. Uh, you know, in South America. So that was great. And then we played in Canada, which we drive. We drove to Canada. We played like not just like I know everybody plays like Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal, but we also played like way up the north in Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury and Ottawa and uh, Kingston and all those places that nobody knows. So that was oh, also pretty right. awesome. Okay. Yeah. You're living the dream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one thing before I forget. So you said the big F you to the Israeli jazz scene. I yeah. don't know much about it. Are yeah, they you stuck know, up like here? It, actually, New York is not know, as bad. But You okay. know what's weird about it, though? That... Nobody cared in the Israeli jazz scene. So that's after we took it out. And that's the only thing we thought about. But then all of a sudden we had fans from all over the world that were really upset that we named it Israeli jazz because they hate Israel, right? Because a lot of people don't like Israel. And we got all that backlash and zero of the backlash we wanted, which was the Israeli jazz scene getting upset. We were like, oh, you guys are... Because I don't know, I guess now that we're doing a little bit better and people kind of know us, we were like, oh, you guys are fine. <laughs> it's cool that you called it Israeli jazz, but the other people are like, Israeli jazz, you guys are Israeli. You guys are like, ah. <laughs> so it wasn't worth it. It wasn't a smart move. In it, no, it is a smart move. I'm a firm believer that all press is good press, especially in a small <laughs> music world that is considered jazz. Yeah, I just don't like that. I, I don't get into it. It's like... I uh, understand drama like, sucks, but did yeah. more people come to your show? Did you sell more albums? I don't think because of that. It's just, you know, we just, uh, we do everything on our own. It's just, it was, it's a slow, it's a gradually, we gradually get bigger. So when we started, nobody knew us. The reason actually we, we got started was I booked a show on MySpace mm-hmm. in, um, before Justin uh, Timberlake bought it. So we, we booked a show on MySpace in Marion, Illinois, which is a uh, bumfuck city. I lived in Chicago back, back then. Now I live in Milwaukee. <laughs> Uh, guitarist still lives in Chicago. And um, we were like, oh, we got a show in Illinois. We didn't understand how big it is because Israel is tiny, right? Israel, four hours you go from the, like the farthest point to the farthest point of the country you go in, in four hours. And then it's two hours across. Um, so we booked the show and we were driving and driving and driving six hours from Chicago. And we get to a place that like, it looks like a dive bar in a tiny town that still has video, a video store, like a video rental place. Oh. And um, like not VHS, but like CD. I'm thinking <laughs> VHS when you say that, like a blockbuster <laughs> video. <laughs> yeah, but basically like blockbuster, but like their own, like own local store. And nothing, there's nothing in this town. Not a coffee shop, nothing. Like in one pizza joint. And you go to a bar that looks like the dive bar down the, like under your build, like down the street, down the block, or even worse. And we played there and we played for three sets. It was like four hours, four hours. And it was amazing. We sold like 20 CDs or 30 CDs, which was like insane back in the day for us. Um, and we were thinking it's like, there must be a place like that in every town in the States. So we just started touring like from one dive bar to the other and sometimes playing coffee shops with our like loud fusion and weird music, uh, all original. And then, play like sometimes playing like Thai restaurants and like some people would hire us to do jazz brunch and we were just like blasting fusion. Uh, and we did that for years and years and years until we got enough of a following to start doing clubs and small theaters. And that's what we, we did now before the Corona and festivals before the Corona ended. Uh, but it was, uh, it took a while, but it, you know, it was a wild ride. So I, I loved it. And I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to put the legwork in. I'm proud you did it, man. Because a lot of people I see don't like touring. And that's one of the problems I think the music you know, industry is not jazz. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest issues with jazz, honestly, why jazz died. Because people in the generations before us, like uh, especially in the 80s and the 90s, called it, uh, they called it flyover states, right? All everybody, Everything in the middle of the country. And jazz specifically jazz like every music but really jazz is supposed to be taken live it's 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 a it's live music it's happening on the spot and it's never going to happen again the same way if it's good right and just by not playing those places they you know they kind of killed the scene and nowadays they just nobody nobody goes there and we 
you know, and everybody told us there is no way to do what you want to do. It's like the people in Kentucky don't care about jazz, people in Kansas, whatever. And we found out that every place is the same. Like we would go to a dive bar in a tiny, 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 tiny town in Idaho and play for the bartender and like the four regulars. And then like, again, just blast infusion. And then somebody would come out and be like, hey, you guys remind me of my Vishnu Orchestra. You know, so it's, uh, no, uh, I, think, listen, I think it's the only way to do it. I agree with you. A lot of people don't like going to the non-published places, the non-famous spots. That's true. But you said something that I was like, ooh, finally someone else says it because I say it a lot. The fact that you said jazz is dead. <laughs> I wouldn't say dead, but I say when you're less than 1% of the music market. <sighs> Listen, I love jazz, but again, it's like you don't... There, there was a point in time, I'm not sure exactly when was the, the day that we decided it, but we just gave up on the American audience. And if you look at people, what people do now, they go to New York try to, and try to immediately get hooked up with shows in Europe. But it's like... A lot of people in New York, including famous people, would play, you know, would fly across the ocean to play a show, but they never played a show in Buffalo, New York, or Syracuse, which is just like a few hours away. Well said. And, and it, to me, it's crazy. Because again, it's like, I'm, you know, people, people are people everywhere. You know, and if you play good music, people, some people are going to like it and people, you know, people want to hear it. I don't know if they're over-romanticizing what they think the European scene is. Not saying I don't like it. I'm not saying there are not a lot of good acts over there, but... You're right. A lot of them don't want to go to Buffalo. They don't want to go to Ithaca. They don't want to go to Albany. And that's just in New York alone. Yeah. Yeah, we played, man, I played in so many places. Yeah, I played in all those places. It's like, and I played in other ones too. Because it just, I don't know. It's like, why, uh, there, there is no difference. Like today, with, maybe there was like 40 years ago, 50 years ago, but today with the internet, everybody's watching the same shows, listening to, look, looking at the same YouTube clips, you know, having access to the same music. So it's like people are really, are not that different than, than each other. And, uh, and everywhere we went, again, it took, it took time, but everywhere to find our audience, but everywhere we went, people were, um, well, I also think they're awesome to us. I might be part of the elitism in jazz. Like they're too good to go to those no name spots or quote unquote, no name spots. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's 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 a lot of that, and then a lot of like there is. I don't want to get it to anything political, but it's like some people think that you know people again people in the middle of the country are racist and terrible, and you know you can't go there. But um, again, I'm from I'm from Israel. Uh, other Danis as well. Uh, we always had one or two uh, black members in our band, and. We never had any problems. Again, doing 250 days a year, going to the most random places you can imagine in the middle of any state. Uh, mostly, mostly, at least people that we met are good uh, and, and are nice. And I don't know. And the and US people are good to deal with and, do, and good, like, you know, business-wise. I don't know. We, we really had a good time in this country so far. Understood. And no, I'm not trying to get political on you, but... Do you think that you are more willing to travel all these states in America because you're not from America? Um, it might be. Again, I I think that people that come here from other countries have, uh, you know, it's like to leave your to leave your home and your friends and your family and the language you speak. Uh, when you come here, you you basically you, I came here to do it. If that makes sense, so I'm not, I didn't come here to sit on my hands. So I already, I already traveled a lot to be here, right? I, I came across the ocean, so that's a few more hours in the, in the van. Okay. Mm, I don't know what to say. Maybe it's because you were in the military. Maybe it's because you came overseas. Maybe you just see the world different, but I love your mindset. That's what Thanks. you got to do. And it doesn't happen overnight. But your eight albums in, I heard the new one. I loved it, especially the opening track. I was like, ah. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. It's like a, it, I mean, I don't want to ruin it for people, but it's like a nice Russian feel that has a jazzy swing to it, but yet you could ball it to it. However, it's a fusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, this, it, again, this, this album is funny because this is the least fusion album that we had. Like our stuff usually is really, is really like hard, like hard rocking. It's like kind of like bebop, like kind of like a Charlie Parker. I was Parker actually going to say uh, that. 
meets uh, Rage Against the Machine, which is usually our, our, uh, our music. But this one, I want to take it a little bit more traditional, uh, in a sense, again, because all the music is still... But yet, then you bring in a drummer who I love, which you got to tell me how you even got him on your album, how you met him. And then I was expecting him to be like flying all over the place. And then he's in the pocket and I'm like, okay, I guess Danny tamed him. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, so we were very lucky. So when I moved, when I moved to Chicago 10 years ago, we immediately met Paul Vertico, which used to be the drummer for the Pat Metheny group. And he hooked us up with Steve Rodby, which is the bass player from the Penn group. And we got to, and then we got to meet Alan Holsworth and Jimmy Hasley. We just got to meet all those people through this little scene. But, you know, um, so when I found the story of this album is that, you know, we did some spring cleaning when Corona hit, like I'm sure everybody did. And my wife found all those old songs that I had, like this notebook, all the songs, and I checked them out. And I asked my guitar player, I was like, what do you think? And should I make an album of that? Can, you know, songs we never used. Should, uh, what do you think about it? It's like, well, if you can get a good jazz drummer, we do it. And I asked Antonio if he wants to do it. And he said, yes, that he can record it at home. Uh, so we did it. Wait, the whole uh, album was recorded from home? Uh, yeah, he recorded the drums. So it was okay. actually recorded in a little bit strange way, but he recorded the drums afterwards um, at home. Well, it was kind of like back and forth. We went back and forth a little bit. But, um, you know, I was lucky enough for, once he said he wants to do it, we were like, okay, when it's, we're doing it. Uh, and I think, it did, I think it did a great job. I know I don't, I play just so busy that I know I don't leave that much room <laughs> for other people. That's <laughs> part of the, the charm of it. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like I talk a lot, I also, <laughs> I also nah, stop a lot. <laughs> You don't change yourself. It's working so far. And for people who don't know Antonio, uh, he won two Grammys? Oh, he was nominated for two, but... He, he won four. He actually. won four. My, uh, yeah, uh, and he gonna... won, a golden, won a Golden Globe as well. Yes, I know he won the Golden Globe, and now everyone is probably laughing at me. But yes. <laughs> so, that's legit. He did his part. You guys did your part. I want everyone to go check out that album. I really believe it's worth your time. Yeah, thank you. It's called Russian Dolls. It's going to be, we're going to sell it probably on the Marbin, uh, on the Marbin Bandcamp. So it's Marbin Music, M-A-R, B like boy, I-N, like Nancy. So like Marvin with a B, marvinmusic.bandcamp.com. And I will tag that in the link and leave it on the page for people to see. So another thing is now, because we didn't get much into it, because I mainly because I started laughing, but the Israel jazz scene. What do they look for? What is considered good? Oh, well, it's really, it's really a hard bop driven scene. Um, you know, it's just it's just like every scene that's in a small place. You know, you have a, it's it's very there is a lot of competition over a lot of small things, and there is no really odd. Israel has a huge amount of musicians and great musicians, uh, but they don't have a lot of. We have a tiny amount of audience specifically for jazz, right? So it's like 8 million people live in Israel and 20% of them are super religious, which we don't really listen to jazz that much. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you're from New York, so you know the Hasidis. Yeah, so that's 20% of the country. So they don't really listen to much jazz. So you're starting with, I don't know, like 6 million people. That's not a lot. Right, so that's, you know, if you think about... Uh, it's like it's Chicago and the suburbs is more people. New York itself is yeah, more people. Yeah, New York has more, but I understand. Okay. So, you know, so you can't really, so you don't have enough audience to really support a scene financially. So everybody, like the biggest, the biggest stars in Israel play weddings. Like the biggest pop stars, I guess. Other than maybe like one or two. Really? Like they would, yeah. Because they have to. Because there's just no money. It's like there's just not enough people. You know, if Paul Simon plays in Chicago, had to play in Chicago every night, eventually he will run out of audience. <laughs> you know, you can't play every night, even if you bring a stadium. So that's, that's just the way it is. And jazz is a tiny, you know, it's a tiny style. It's a niche style. You know, but it's, it's really hard to make a living there. That's why, that's why I came here, because I knew I won't be able to do it there. 
and uh, I knew that I wanted to to try and play full time. And you know, it's part of my. I really wanted to get better at saxophone, and to me, it's like playing all those shows and recording is what's keeping me better. Like it's very difficult for me to just be at home and not and, and not play shows because. You know, it's like to me, one of the things that I don't like about jazz uh, today is, and again, it's not everybody, but it's, 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 it's a lot. That because people don't get to play as much, they, get, they spend most of the time playing at home alone and they learn all those licks and all those things and they practice a lot of stuff, which is great. Practice is important. I used to practice, I don't know, like 10, 12 hours a day. So it's like, it's important to practice. But... You know, it's um, if you learn licks, and that's what I don't like about lick playing. Your playing becomes instead of uh, instead of focusing on creating something new that's good, and that's how you measure your success. Your success, I mean, musically and artistically in the show, you you try to um, execute things. And if you executed your licks well, you feel like you had a good show. But jazz is not about executing. That's not the mind space you want to be in. It's about creating. Right, and if you play a lot of shows, you can't really do that because if you you play your licks one day and then the next day and then the next day and then the next day and then by the fifth day you're completely sick of your licks and you have to do something else. Uh, but you know, just practicing at home all the time and not playing out is just—I feel like it's not healthy for a jazz musician. I couldn't agree with you more on that. I do. Yeah, well, I know I said it before. I know there are tons of people who would say you go to a jam session and there'll be people there who would be trying to show off in a technical way, which isn't really good for the people. But you know what I mean? Like you said, you would get your lick out, you would get that rhythm in there. And it's like, how do I say it? Theoretically genius, but it's not really pleasant on the ears. It's also a weird, I think it's also us to do a lot of insecurity. Because the fastest way to sound good as a jazz musician is to is to learn licks. Because you you know and you feel safe because you're like oh Charlie Parker played that and Colton played that one and I don't know Chris Potter played that one and Hank Mobley played that one. So I know it's good, right? You don't have to ask yourself is what I'm doing good because you're like I know it's good. They did it. They're great. Everybody likes them. I like them. So you know there's no there is no thinking about it. It's like you feel secure. But uh, it's like to me that's. That's not what jazz is about. You know, some, uh, I was talking to this classical musician and for class, uh, and also prog musicians because we do some prog stuff. And they ask, it's hard to explain to somebody why improvising is better than just sitting at home and thinking about stuff. Because from their perspective, if you just sit at home and, you know, you can come up with a, ideal thing for any situation but but to me the best analogy for it would be to take a trip some people like to take like let's say you go to a city you've never been in 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 europe let's say you go to rome for the first time okay so for so so, so some people would think to get the most out of a trip they have to plan every second they would look online all the attractions and what all the secrets that people find and like the best restaurants and the best local spots and all the museums. And some people, which is people like me and uh, luckily my wife, will just go to a place and just walk around and, you know, whatever you stand. And some people like the first type of vacation and some people like the second type of vacation. And the first type, you know, it's fine if you, you, know, if you, if you like the duvet. Uh, but it's probably not good. It's not a good mentality for a jazz musician. Uh, and, and everybody that and everybody that listens to us right now, and is the second type of person, will know exactly what I'm talking about and why. I'm the second type of person, yeah. which is kind of bad in a way because, like I said, I would have a hotel room and then I'd be like, I'm walking this direction, and I'll just keep <laughs> walking that direction, and then you find some cool stuff. But yeah. And sometimes we'll get into trouble. But yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Which has happened before. So, yeah, I agree with you. I'm that type of person. I could relate to what you said on that. Yeah, but, you know, I do all the, I do all the booking and the managing for Marvin, for the band. And 
people, when people join us, they always are so surprised, like, where are we going to sleep tonight? It's like, I don't know. Where are we going to hang out? I don't know. It's, it's like, what are the details? I was like, I always tell them, listen, I booked it probably like four or five months ago. I probably did a good job. So let's not worry about it. Whatever happens from now happens. <laughs> yeah, that's all, a certain type of person needs to be in your band. Yeah, a lot of people can't handle that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, don't worry, you're going to sleep. Yeah, what, yeah, we'll figure wherever it. I'm gonna, Wherever I'm going to sleep, you're going to sleep. So don't worry, it's going to be fine. We're going to work it out. And after a while, they'll learn, they'll learn not to ask me <laughs> all those questions. So is Antonio going to tour with you like that? No, no. Okay. Uh, we can't afford. We can't afford bringing Antonio on the road. He needs. He needs different type of uh, <laughs> accommodations that we can that we can support. But uh, it, it was a lot of fun to do something with him, and we really figured. Again, I'll, our drummer for Marby now has uh, been with us for two years, but we haven't really played this year. His name is Everett Benton, and he's a beast. And he's also is from uh, Eastern Louis, and he's not just a beast. He's also like a great person, and it gets better all the time. And it's great to see him live. Like we did, we have one album out of him. It's called Strong Thing. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you can't really appreciate him just from this album because he, he gets really better all the time. Um, but we, Danny and I thought it's going to be, again, since it's such a weird thing and such a weird situation, it's going to be fun to do. And we have other opportunities to do this with Antonio. It's going to be a fun kind of side thing to do. No, that's Good. I was just curious if he was going to be on that whole mindset, like, yeah, we'll figure it out as we go. And yeah, we'll go with the flow. I'm just curious if he was like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> Probably not. Okay. Did you go to any conservatory or university for music? No, I'm basically the only person in the States that don't have a, that don't have a degree. <laughs> I didn't go to college. I, I did graduate from high school, though. <laughs> Listen, man, you're, are you a musician or are you touring? You're a musician, so good. You don't need a degree. I was just okay. You just didn't mention it, so I was just like, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not big into music schools. It's like I know people love them, but it's like to me, they're so expensive, and you really. I met some people that were two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt for music school, and it's like you can't be a musician when you have that much debt because. You know, you don't make a lot of money in the beginning unless something insane happens. It's a, and to me, it's very not, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't be able to take that amount of money from somebody and put him that much in debt and feel good about myself. It's, you know, I don't know, we didn't, it's not, I don't make a lot of money now, but I really didn't make almost any money in the beginning, right? I barely survived, like survived on credit cards. And, you know, we, when we toured in the beginning, just to give people ideas, we did two things. We we had a we had a plate with like a hot plate with uh, we got on in Craigslist and just would find places that let us hook up to electricity and just cooked eggs all the time. That's what we ate because that's the cheapest thing to eat. And if you go to Chipotle and you order rice and beans, there's two sides. It's a dollar. It's one dollar. And we would buy go to Walmart before buy vegetables like tomatoes and scallions and avocado and sometimes watermelon and just go to Chipotle, order rice and beans for a dollar each one and cut all the vegetables and just have a feast in Chipotle. <laughs> so I, we, we really, you know, we really didn't make money in the beginning. If I had school debt to add to that, I would never be able to do what I did. That was probably the most real statement I've gotten on this podcast series. Seriously. <laughs> That is a legit modern day, I don't want to say struggle, but that's pretty much what some people will have to do if they want a career in music. And that's one thing I don't think people truly understand. I luckily never did that or had to go through that, but yet I'm not paying, playing 200, 250 shows a year. Yeah, you know, it's like you have to sacrifice. You, you, in your life, you're going to have to make sacrifices, right? And to me, I always encourage people, whatever you want to do, do go for it. And if you find out that the sacrifice is not worth it, which a lot of people will, a lot of people, you know, we had um, one of our lineups, we had a drummer, it was a great drummer, and I, we actually got along very well. And, you know, we just discovered he loved playing drums, and he, but he wasn't, he didn't really enjoy touring. He didn't enjoy going to different cities. He didn't enjoy the interactions with the fans that much. 
like he he was obsessed with drums but not with not with music if it makes sense and you know I don't know it just it wasn't for him but he 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 sacrificed the year of his life and he found it out and I'm sure now he's happier because he it he doesn't have uh you know that in the back of his mind like I should do that I should do that because he already tried it um no, that's a good point I there, there are a lot of great the founder of journey left the group before their first huge hit because he didn't want to tour anymore so I agree with you on that there are a lot of people who don't like touring but like yeah. playing music so what is your suggestion to them well it's it's to me it's everything in life right so it's like you if you want to be if you decide what you're gonna do so let's say you want to be play theater I don't know again I'm I only the more thing I can say is about touring with original people jazz bands because that's what they do for a living but I but let me let, entertain my examples for a second so let's say you want to be in theater if you decide you really want to be in theater and pursue it you start asking yourself questions like what what can I do to get better theater jobs you're like oh I need to double I need to double but I need to read better you know I need to get a nice I don't know a nice suit I need to start I need to move to a city that has a good theater scene you know I need to You start doing things that would push you towards towards the, that, that goal like what I what I'm scared about with music when I talk to musicians and I, I teach clinics in, um, in colleges when I used to at least with and you know a lot of people want to be musicians but they don't think about what being a musicians mean musician mean it's like it can mean a lot of things you can you can record stuff at home you can teach a little bit you can do whatever you know you can do a lot of things but it's not good in my estimation to do things on a low level the reason is if you're in a successful if you start a successful let's say wedding band you can make a lot of money but if you just play wedding bands here and wedding like gigs here and there you're going you're not gonna get stuck at like you know 200 bucks a show 200 bucks a gig and if you teach you You know if you really get into teaching you can go and teach in a good like a private high school or a good college and make good living you know and do it and have good students and enjoy yourself but if you just teach in a music store um, you know in your in your town you might you know you might always lack you don't have enough students and you're barely making money and you make it barely making ends meet so the best advice I can give to people is figure out what you want to do and go for it You know with all of what you got and if and if after a while you discover that it's not worth the sacrifices then it's not worth the sacrifices do something else again I sacrifice a lot touring you know I have a baby and last year she was uh, she's a, almost two years old and last year I you know I was on the road not as much as usual but I still was on the road over than a hundred days right so it's I'm, I'm still sacrificing you know and that's the hardest sacrifice I had to make. Like small stuff, like, you know, like eating what I told you, like eating, eating like a poor person and being a poor person. That's fine. It's, I still, to me, I always lived okay. It's like me and my wife used to live in a, in a studio outside of Chicago. And people were like, oh, how can you live you know, in this tiny room? But to me, it's, it's like, I don't know, we have our own place. My parents lived in a, in a small place with my grandparents and two kids. Um, and then my grandparents, you know, <laughs> had, had it much worse than them. So that's, that's not a big sacrifice to me, but being away from my baby is. Uh, but, but it's better to do something, I'm sorry, I'm going on a rant, but it's better to do something high level. So decide what you want to do and go for it, you know, with all, with all that you got. Well, there are people out there who are just not going to do that. I understand. But then you have the people who their family helps them out, like their parents help them out. And that's why I believe the music is becoming more upper middle class and more upper class based, at least the musicians. What do you think of that? Um, yeah, so again, when I'm saying do, you know, go for it, I'm not saying go for it like two as much as I did. I mean, decide what you want to do and do it. So it can be like, if you want to be a teacher, just do it on a high level, play theater or movies or whatever, high level. If you want to play pop, right? If you want to play as a sideman for pop musicians, There is nothing you can do in, in uh, let's say, in Richmond, Virginia and do it. You should go to L.A. You should, you know, you should look the part. You should hang out with the people. You should learn what you need to learn. You should have the right sound. You know, you need to learn a lot about production. So there is a lot of stuff you can do to make, to make your life better. So uh, to answer your question, Vote, about uh, middle, 
middle-class people that their parents help them. Yeah, it's true that it happens, but at the end of the day, I think it's also a curse, right? So it's like if my parents had money, you know, they might have given me some, and yeah, I might have had easier times and easier life in easier life at in one aspect, but on the other aspect, I would just waste their money. I didn't know what what to do with money back then, and just to start from nothing helped me really understand where to put my money and to be responsible with it and when you're a musician, everybody tries to take your money. You just start everybody's like, "I'll be your booking agent, I'll be your manager. Hey, put this, I'm going to give you a real place on Spotify, real place on YouTube, you know, likes on Facebook, whatever. And if you have that money, you're going to be tempted to spend it on, uh, I don't know, the thing that got us viral originally, that got us like a big jump in our audience mm-hmm. was videos we did on Facebook. So we played a show in Dallas uh, and Mark Littieri from Snarky Puppy opened for us. And we had like maybe 10 people in the audience. And one of the people was the guy that uh, made the videographer for Snarky Puppy. And he came to, to, me and, to me after the show and he said, listen, you guys are amazing. People need to see it. You have to have videos out. And we talked to him about how much videos cost and it was insane. Like we couldn't, we couldn't afford it. So I was like, I can't put $12,000 into a video. Definitely not uh, $70,000 or 100000 like they did. But I don't have this Wait, kind of money. They put hundred thousand in the video. They they had also investors and stuff. They, okay, yeah, good. It's, it's, it's I had insane. one guy come on before that's a member, and I was just like, okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's insane amount, insane amount of money those videos cost them, insane amount. And he showed me again. I'm not going to get into everything that he showed me, but I couldn't afford it. And we end up making videos uh, for three hundred bucks. We just went to a room, not even sandbox, went to a room, bought a videographer and sound guy we know, played live without, uh, it's, if you want to look it up, it's called uh, Redline mm-hmm. and African Shabta. It's, you know, it's not my best playing since <laughs> it was years ago, but it's still, I think it's pretty good. And that's what got us viral. We already had like uh, 15,000 likes on Facebook and they gave it the initial push. Uh, and then it got to a lot of other people before Facebook blocked it. Now Facebook doesn't let... We want money for everything. So now Facebook can't, uh, doesn't show anything to anybody. But we were lucky enough that we still did back in the day. And, you know, it's, you just learn how to do things that you can afford and you learn how to never put yourself in a hole that you can't get out to. Because people, people, a lot of people, their business is to take money from musicians. And not everybody is a bad person that wants to do it. A lot of people really wants to help, want to help. But... It's like you're gonna you're gonna have to learn how to make decisions. So in that case, I, in that in that sense, I feel like I'm very lucky that I didn't have that financial backing that uh, that some other people that some other people have. That is also a much better answer than I could have hoped for. And by <laughs> the way, I found your video: 123,000 views as of now on YouTube. Yeah, I'll be sure to tag that for people. Yeah. Do Afri- which which one of them? Redline or African chapter? Oh, Redline. Do African chapter. It's a little bit better. <laughs> okay, let's, let's check that I'll, out. I'll, I'll write you. I'll write you in the chat how to spell it. Now, nah, according to this one, the other one, Redline has more. Unless you have yeah. a different one. Yeah, Redline has more, but this one is better. Okay, no problem. <laughs> I tagged that one for you. One hundred and nine thousand views on YouTube. Yeah. D- on on Facebook, it got like a million or something. But, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. But again, but views on Facebook, it's like, ugh, who cares? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You know, you know, I'll be happy with a million. Dude, I'll be happy with a hundred thousand. So you need well, <laughs> well, you know, you know, um, that's another thing, you know, that drives me nuts about a lot of younger jazz musicians. It's like <laughs> my dog is asleep and she's uh kind of barking in her sleep. Anyway, um people <laughs> I don't want to complain too much about that. But no, go. This is your show, your hour. I'm just here <laughs> yeah. as the host. Talk about yourself. Yeah. Go. A lot, a lot of people. So people think, yes, you do. You know, to me, at the end of the day, you want to sell tickets to, especially for what I do, I want to sell tickets to my shows and, and albums. And that's how I make my money. So it's important to get views and to be known. But you don't want to sacrifice artistic things 
a to be to to get clicks like you don't want to do silly things like you know people just do silly covers of music they don't like or dress up fun in a funny way or kind of make a clown out of themselves and it's fine you don't have to take yourself too seriously but take the music seriously and like things that say a lot of people do is like they would put transcriptions of themselves playing and it's fine you know put it and you get but the clicks are not the goal the goal for you guys or for everybody for me too is to find people that like your music and you know and are willing to support it and we've been very lucky to to find these people in our audience is great but the, the likes and the, and the views is not the goal and nobody's gonna come to your show just because you did a good a cool transcription of a Coltrane solo you know so it's important not to waste all your time doing both things just because you're getting all those all those endorphins from all the all the likes and the views and you feel like you're doing something and it's Again, it's so frustrating. When we did our first videos, we kept joking that people just don't believe that we play like that and we need to see it live. That's why we also did it without headphones. I could barely hear saxophone when we played it because, again, we were all standing in a circle in one room, the drums blasting, the guitars blasting. And, and even then, people were like, oh, you sped it up. It's like, yeah. It's like, you know, even when people, some people had uh, things to say. Well, you always got no matter who you are, if you put something online, you're going to have a troll. I yeah, got a troll is, that every episode I put out, he sends me some smart-ass remark. <laughs> <laughs> which is very silly, though, because it's like, if you listen to us live, we play it much, much faster when it is on the video or in the album. But um, but uh, even though we don't, yeah, we barely play it anymore. Because we, that's another thing we do. Every time we go to a place, we have a new, hour, a new 90 minutes of music. So we don't, we would never come to a city twice with the same music. Uh, that's another thing. So you don't, actually, if you come to our shows, you never hear music from the album. You hear music from the next album. Um, okay. I yeah. Like, I like. Yeah, so you never, also, ah, okay. I, I kind of went into a different direction, but. No, uh, no, no. I, but, but, let, but let me tell you about that too. So if you look at, not those titles, I, I let, those titles are all like uh, book quotes, but in a regular Marvin show, every title is a, is a st crazy story on the road that we barely survived through. Uh, so let me give you, I'll give you an example. So we please, have a song please. called... Yes, go. We have a song called Arkansas Jumper, for example. Okay. And we played the show back in the day in Eureka Spring, Arkansas, which is like a, it's like a mountain, like a pastoral, quaint mountain time, town in Spain if you just pour the huge bucket of meth over it. And... <laughs> And we played this place, the way it's going, it's like the city is built in the mountain and it's because it goes in rings, the road goes in rings around it. And there are um, staircases that lead from one level to the other. And we played on the top level in a place that doesn't exist anymore called the Squid and Whale. And we did uh, three sets there. And after the first set, we came, we just hung, hanging out outside. This lady came to us, this meth lady, came to us outside and like, hey, did you see... A guy with the latest pearls, he stole my fucking pearls. I was like, uh, nope, we're just here playing fusion. Then I played another set, came out. Same lady. Hey, are you sure are you sure you didn't see a guy with pearls? I'm looking for my pearls. He stole my fucking pearls. I was like, uh, lady, we already told you. We play fusion. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> then we're done with the show. Third set, it's like one one uh one thirty in the morning. Or two in the morning. Uh we're packing up our van. And we're about about to be ready to go. And this lady comes again and she points at this guy and is like, this motherfucker stole my pearls. And this guy looks at her, looks at us, and he runs and he jumps above a ledge from <laughs> from like uh like straight down uh... the mountain. And we run after him and we look and it's so steep that it's pitch black like we can't see anything <laughs> and we're looking and then um we we're looking and we're in silence we're like fuck this guy is so dead and we run downstairs like down the steps and we finally reach reach him and out of the bushes he runs out with a knife in one hand and a lady's purse on his shoulder screaming ah and disappearing into the night and that's the last we saw of him so that song uh, is Arkansas Jumper, but uh, I think it's on our seventh album, Israeli Jazz. So it's like every song that you see is uh, <laughs> every title has a crazy story like that. 
That's great. Like, literally, that is great. <laughs> give me one more. I'm sorry. Just give me one yeah. more. Yeah. All right. Yeah, meth, I have to say meth is a... Uh, meth is, uh, is a hell of a drug, yeah. yeah Everyone yeah, stay like, away from meth. Exactly. Um, let me give you another story. Uh, uh, how about... Uh, which one other one I like? I liked... Joint, uh, junk joint. Let's go there. Junk joint. No, uh, junk joint. Uh, well, junk joint is, I can tell you that, but uh, I'll tell you another one because junk joint is kind of a simple story. It's, it's not a lot happening. Okay, so give me another good one. Come on. <laughs> All right, another good one. Let me think from that. Maybe our last album. Song thing. You know what? I'll give you, I'll give you a story that kind of negates what I said in the beginning, but that was kind of crazy, crazy time. Okay, so we, when we just started, we played mostly, like I said, in Southern Illinois. And we played this town, not in Marion, in Carbondale, which is just Bible. And we got there super early during the day. Like it was like 11 a.m. And we went to the bar that we played at. It's called PK's, which stands for Pizza King. Mm-hmm. Even though we never had pizza. Um, it's called Pizza King for some reason. And we went in. And our guitarist, like me and the guitarist, we met this girl and she was just uh you know this blonde chick and she was just young chick and she was just playing guitar and singing songs so we we went to her and said hi and introduced herself and she said hey do you guys want to come with me to a barbecue my friends are having a barbecue and we're like free food fuck yeah <laughs> let's do it okay so she took us uh to this trailer park outside of town and dropped us off and said i have to go and just disappeared and in the barbecue, the barbecue one was only two people. It was a guy named Bob, Bob Aniwell, which is like a guy in his uh, 60s. Mm-hmm. And he was cooking. And another woman in her 40s that was uh, Sandy, that was just crying, bawling. And you're like, ooh, that's a weird barbecue. <laughs> like, what's going on? So we went and said, hey, guys, we're Marvin. You know, we're just playing pickers tonight. And... Um, we said, like, what's going on? And she's, they told us it's actually, this barbecue is awake. It's, a, it's a, in the honor of her ex-boyfriend that just died suddenly. Uh, uh, so, like, okay, that's kind of strange, but uh, we'll make <laughs> most out of it. So Danny started taking the guitar, and we was, started singing, like, Johnny Cash songs and, you know, eating, eating pork and drinking bad, you know, bad and having a good, good old time. All of a sudden, this guy steps out of the trailer, uh-huh. and, he, and Bob points at him and says, Hey, fellas, meet Carl. He's the sweetest guy, and he hates everyone that loves him. And this guy comes out, and he's a humongous guy, um, covered with swastikas and iron crosses. Like, like Nazi, Nazi tattoos, yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. yeah. And, this is good. <laughs> I must say, I'm entertained. <laughs> and and we were like, okay, he might not be able to tell that we're Jewish, but uh, he can definitely tell that our drummer and bassist are black. So, <laughs> so let's see I what's going on. He looked, he looked at us and he said, who the fuck are you and what the fuck are you doing here? And the uh, guitarist said, well, we're Marvin, we're playing in PKs. And he said, do you play any of this hippie bullshit? And we were like, no, we play, uh, we don't think so, we play jazz fusion. And there was a moment of silence, and he said, I fucking love jazz fusion. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, do you know Alan Holtzworth? And he's like, dude, we went on tour with Alan. (laughs) We know him very well. I was supposed to play on Alan's album. We're like, Danny's going to play on his album. He didn't, he died, so it didn't happen. But he's like... Yeah, we know him very well. And we start talking about Fusion. And fast forward to the show. He came to the show, was walking out. We were like, oh, we're not with this guy, you know, because it's this Nazi walking out to our music. Ah, and he stole, he stole the poster from the bathroom wall and had it sign it. And then he sent us a picture. So this Nazi guy had a, a picture, a poster signed by two Jews and two black guys hanging in his room. If I said what I wanted to say there, I would lose a lot of <laughs> listeners, but that story is outstanding. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was quite a that was quite a thing <laughs> with him. 
and you see people, this is why you need to go on tour on the road because you get stories like this. Yeah, specifically, <laughs> yeah, I would avoid the Nazis. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, I highly suggest you try to avoid those too because that could have ended really bad. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... <laughs> so, okay, man, okay. So where do you think Jazz would be in 10 years off what you know? <sighs> Oh, that will be, you know, it's it's hard to predict. The one thing I can predict is that because of uh, the good, the one good thing about, <laughs> good thing, I don't know if it's a good thing. It's like a lot of people in jazz were really against, uh, I think shredding is coming back into jazz. I would say that. Um, I think that people were really against it. It was a, minimal, a minimalist wave what was going on in jazz and I think this is going to be over soon because of Instagram and everything because people need to to grab people's attention and I think that's how we do it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's going to happen as far as the business goes. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next year. We had we had over 100 shows canceled because of Corona and that's not even counting all the stuff that uh, got canceled like that I didn't even get to book yet which is like September, October, November, December. So we just had uh, you know, we were actually, we were touring until the last day it was possible. We played in Columbus and people were calling me on the phone to cancel shows. <clears throat> and I was, you know, like emailing me and I would call them and I'd be like, we're not canceling. I have to have it. That's my only income. Not canceling. And we were doing, we did a show in Columbus, in Cincinnati, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then drove all the way to South Carolina. And when we hit South Carolina, the shit just hit the fan and... There was no show and all our other shows got canceled. We had like like uh, a cru- two cruises canceled, two festivals and like 25 shows or something canceled just this tour. It was a long tour. It was the biggest tour of really of our career. Like not the longest. The longest was like 50 something days playing every day. But uh, like it was the best tour we ever had and just drove home all the way. After driving from Tennessee to South Carolina, we just drove all the way home to Chicago um, that night. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> we'll no, I, see. I feel you, man. It's just... <laughs> I'm still laughing at the last story in my head. <laughs> Actually, I got to go back to that, man. Do you run into, like, some real hardcore druggies on the road then? Oh, yeah. Well, we did. So, again, now... It's so funny because now is uh, we just... We stay in hotels basically every night and... It's like, it's pretty easy, but it's, uh, and we play venues and we just play 90 minutes a night, like sometimes two sets a night, like of like two sixty minutes sets a night. So it's like, it's pretty, and we play, it's all ticketed shows. So we play for audience. And if we play festivals, it's like, we met, we met a lot of people on drugs and festivals because we played a lot of jam festivals, but you know, but it's not like as hardcore as it was in the beginning where we played just dive bars in the middle of like in Arcan- middle of Arkansas over Ozarks. So, yeah, we met a lot of crazy motherfuckers that did a lot of crazy shit back in the day. Uh, nowadays, a little bit more tame. But again, when you're young, it's a good time, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's also, there is a charm to it. It's like you just need to learn whatever comes. Take the best out of everything, you know? Basically. I agree, I agree, man. <laughs> uh, so, if you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self... Would you talk them out of being a jazz musician or just a musician in general? No, listen, I love my life. So it's, you know, and when you imagine, what do you think? It's like I can imagine, uh, I can imagine doing something else maybe, but I don't really know what it would be like. Because it's like too, I really get anxious when I don't play saxophone. So, you know, I can say, oh yeah, I could definitely do something else. But I don't know if I could do something else if, if I would let myself do something that's not uh, being a musician. Like a lot of business decisions I made weren't very good. Like I can give you an example of something that I just, you know, found out that I did that I think was terrible. I, you know, because our Facebook went so easily, I, I never, we didn't um, push for a mailing list. And now Facebook just blocks us. We have 300,000 followers on Facebook, but I have no way to reach them. When you, when I advertise my shows, which is how I made my money until a second ago, you know, it was, it was still good because it's easy to put like 30 to 100 bucks to Facebook and advertise your event and to the people that like your page that live in a, in a specific town and, you know, they get to it. 
So that was good. But now that I want to advertise like music, oh, we started a podcast called Marvin. I uh, know it's called Real Talk with Marvin. Um, so, you know, I can't reach those people because the algorithm on Facebook, you know, we have 300,000 people, but no way to get to them. Right. So we, we did make some mistakes. So we started a mailing list and we had like 2,000 people sign up. But it's, it's still, it's, it's, again, it's nothing compared to what we could have done if I started it like seven years ago. Um, you know, but we were just lazy and it was easy to keep on Facebook. So I didn't think about it. So I did make mistakes, but generally I like where my life is and I like my life. And so I have no complaints, you know. So no, I would, I would definitely not try to persuade myself not to be a musician. I would, maybe I would tell myself what I need to practice more because it's tough to know what you need to practice. So now, now I, I know better what, uh, what I did bad, what I didn't do well back in the day. Okay. And if you could remove all the barriers, all the constraints, what type of project would you do and who would be on it? Well, you know, that's, that's funny to me. It's, it's a funny question to me because I play in Marvin and in this album that I just did. I, only, I always play my music, so I play what I want to play in the way that I want to play it. So it's like if I had more money, you know, I might have add some people, like, you know, do larger arrangements in live shows or bring a percussion player maybe. But at the end of the day, I get to play my own music and that's what I've been doing again for over, yeah, for 10 years now. So, you know, I, I really, I'm already doing it, basically. All right, man. I can't even argue that one, but let's go to this next part because, you know, this is a great episode, but I can't keep it this long. So before you go, let's give a shot. We normally give a shout out. Show our respects to the artists who came before us. Okay. So I'm going to yeah. give you an instrument and two artists. Tell us which one you prefer and why. All right. You want a more modern one or an older one? I, I, I like more older jazz. You so. like older jazz. So let's go to yeah. the older people. I give you a simple list on trumpet. Lee Morgan or Freddie Hubbard? Um, you know, I I like both of them, but I got into Freddie Hubbard recently. So I've been listening to a lot of Freddie Hubbard. Uh, so it's funny that you brought it up. Okay. Um, but I do like I do like both of them. Um, I do, you know what? I, I will go somewhere else. I do have an issue with, <laughs> with trumpet players. Oh, uh, this I, is great. I, I, really, I really like, uh, <laughs> no, I really like, uh, I really like, you know, being a cliche, but I love Louis Armstrong, right? Okay. I like Louis Armstrong. I love, to me, something that was lost in jazz was uh, in music, when I analyze music, I look at three things mainly, which is when I analyze music to learn it. I look at, uh, and including my own music, I, I look at rhythm, like what rhythm people play, what groupings they use, like what subdivisions, how they approach it, you know, if they play behind the beat, on the beat, you know, in front of the beat. Uh, so rhythm is one aspect. Second aspect is harmony. You know, I, you know what, what, harmonic, what harmonic tools we're using um, in any given time. And then the third thing that I look at is timbre and articulation. And to me, the older guys, like in the 20s, the, ryth the rhythm, the subdivisions they played, I, I won't get into why, but, you know, it, it wasn't that diverse and the solos were pretty slow and harmonic, it was pretty simple. But the articulation and the stuff they did with sound was amazing. And to me, after that, you know, Charlie Parker is my favorite player and I love Cannonball, I love Colton, I love those people. But after that, people really lost the articulation thing. Like, you, you know, they barely play with vibrato, they barely play, do anything with sound. It's kind of like we're uh, playing MIDI. It's just you're just you know, just uh, like you're playing a controller and not a not a physical instrument like a saxophone that you can get so much out of it. You know, and it's true for every instrument. Like it's true for drums. It's true for everything. You know, it's like to me, color is is maybe the most important thing in somebody's playing. I know if people are familiar with my playing, I know it might seem just because I shred. It's it's not, but it's it, to me that's what I listen to. So. Um, I think Lee Morgan is great. I think Fayabo is great. I actually like both of them and I like their music a lot. But if, 
you know, if you're a trumpet player, please listen to the people that came before. Please listen to Louis Armstrong. Please listen to Harry James and, you know, you know, um, all, those, all those guys. Okay, I agree. So let's try, let's go with bass. Stanley Clark or Ron Carter? Can I choose Victor Wooten? <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to name an instrument. You tell me why. Okay, go. Victor Wilson, right. why? <laughs> go. All right. All right. So, you know, you know what? I'm going to give a shout out to a new musician. There is a guy called Michael Pipokuina. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Nope. But, unfortunately. Okay. Michael Pipokuina, Mikael. Pipokuina is a Brazilian guy. Mm-hmm. He is so good. Everybody is a bass player. He shreds like a motherfucker. And he's so tasty and he just plays great. And he's so grooving and great tone. And, you know, it's just, he's really taking it to, uh, to, to the next level as far as I'm concerned. So he has some videos playing him and an accordion player. Check it out. Michael uh, Pepequina. Okay. I'm piano, who? Favorite two piano players, uh, Oscar Peterson and Michelle Petrucciani. So Oscar Peterson, I know everybody knows. Uh, Michel Petrucciani, if you don't know, is a French guy uh, that's kind of newer. He died maybe 15 years ago. Amazing, amazing player. Um, I love how his right hand, uh, like he does stuff with his left hand that uh, he does a lot of patterns, like rhythmical patterns in his left hand. And, you know, there is this phenomena when you listen to something and and something just keeps going in a loop, your brain kind of puts it behind uh, and you focus more on what's changing, right? It's like putting it in the background. And the way he plays piano, it makes it sound like his left hand is kind of in the background and his right hand is like a horn playing because the thing that he does with a rhythmical pattern on his left hand. And uh, super tasty stuff. Yeah, I don't know which song to tell you guys to check out first, but there, is, there are a few versions of Caravan, for example that it plays a uh, solo piano and just insane, insanely good stuff. Michel Petrucciani. Okay. And drums? Drums. Um, well, it depends. So, Buddy Rich is amazing. Uh, best, to me, is the best soloist on drum, as a drummer. Um, you know, did crazy stuff and everybody's like, he's an asshole. So what? I don't have to marry him. <laughs> I like how he plays drums, you know, and he, and he played drums with Charlie Parker and he's just... We had a guy uh, that come yeah. on and said that. Like, he was such an a <laughs> Yeah, but I don't care. I don't care. It's amazing. It's amazing at drums. It's like you changed... I don't know. To me, it's amazing. Uh, Jimmy Cobb is also awesome in jazz. I just heard a lot of uh, Cannonball Adderley albums. I'm on a Cannonball kick, so I listened to a lot of Cannonball with Jimmy Cobb and his amazing drumming. Uh, music drummer. And then I love I love also the 70s guys that have one foot in fusion, one foot in jazz. So Vinnie Coliuta, um, Dennis Chambers, you know, uh, those, those guys are also like uh, great. Gary Novak is great. So that's, that's my favorite drummers. Okay. And finally, even though you said it, you're just going to tell us why on saxophone. So saxophone... Again, Charlie Parker is my main guy. It's just amazing to me. Like the rhythms he plays, it's like the lines, it's so tasty. It's just insane. It's just so good. It's like no matter how much I hear it, it's like it's, it's, it's still inspiring to me. Um, and then I like a lot of the older guys, like I said. So I like Charlie Parker, I like Cannonball, I like Sonny State. And then I like a lot of the, like, like older guys that do stuff with sound. Like Sidney Bechet is an amazing saxophone player. Um, Johnny Hodges, amazing. Like, he's just, you know, like, there's just his glissandos and bands and all the stuff he gets out of it is just, is just uh, really great. And, you know, a saxophone player that I discovered recently is, wait, oh, my God, I'm blanking out. What's his name? I'm going to, let me find it. Go. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, its name is Earl something. Boots, maybe? Earl Bostick. Earl Bostick. I don't know if you know him. Did you ever hear about him? You're making me feel real bad today. El Brostick? L E E A R E A R L Bostick. B-O-S-T-I-C. So I is he doesn't have a lot of recordings that are great, unfortunately, because he was worried. He was one of his people. He was like in the generation before Parker, so he was worried people are gonna steal his stuff. So his recorded stuff is a little bit cheesy. But technically is insane. 
apparently was one of Coltrane's teachers. And I saw a lot of quotes by Art Blakey and a lot of jazz musicians saying he's the craziest technical saxophone player. And he did a lot of very interesting stuff technically that, uh, you know, that I didn't, you know, that it's amazing how, like how long ago it was. So that's very interesting as far as saxophone goes. But, uh, but mu- music-wise, which is more important, it's like I really love, again, Charlie Parker, uh, you know, Cannonball, Coltrane, uh, all of those people, you know, the regular people, and <laughs> nothing that nobody else knows. Okay. No. That's inside. Now I got to read up on another person. Okay, so Danny, can you tell people where to find you, your social media, your websites, etc.? All right, so facebook.com slash Marbin Music, M-A-R-B, like boy, I-N, music. Uh, marbinmusic.com, marbinmusic.bandcamp.com. Uh, we have a podcast which we tell crazy stories and do all talk about crazy, talk crazy shit. It's uh, Music Real Talk. No, yeah, Music Real Talk with Marvin. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, check it out. Definitely. And then obviously all the other stuff that people have. Well, I must say, man, this was a very, very entertaining <laughs> episode thank you i loved it you need thank to you. come back and tell me more stories but yes i appreciate it man thank you happy to be here likewise oh everyone this is leander from improv exchange thank you and have a good day everyone that's that on jazz thank you for joining us on this episode of improv exchange please subscribe on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>